Well, good morning. My name is Johnny. Obviously, uh, John and Sarah are not here for the next few weeks. Um, if you've not been here before, then a very warm welcome to you. Uh, you're very welcome here. And if you, you have been here before, then you've probably seen me before wielding an axe instead of the sword, which is a nerdy joke about guitars and Bibles. Um, not like a part-time barbarian or anything. Um, so this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, the importance of seeing the truth. Okay, because if we want... Um, if we want to walk in righteousness, it's absolutely essential that we're able to see the truth. Jesus says that the truth sets us free. So, how do we walk in freedom? And also, how do we avoid deception? We need to know the truth. So, uh, the passage we're going to be looking at today is Mark 8, 22, uh, verse 22 to 26. So, if you could turn your Bibles there, it should be up on the screen. Um, and I will read it. Okay. Mark 8, 22 to 26. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then people laid his hands on his eyes. So then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home, saying, do not even enter the village. Okay, this, for me, is a really exciting passage. I've been thinking a lot about it over the last few months. So to get the opportunity to, to talk about it is, is really great for me, and, and I, I hope it blesses you as well. But just to give some context to this passage, um, Jesus has just fed the 4,000, and you have this situation with the Pharisees where they're asking a sign from Jesus. So I'll just pick up from verse 14, just so we can get a bit of context to, to what we're actually be studying. So verse 14 says, Now they had forgotten to bring bread, that's the disciples, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they, they began discussing with, with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? So first Jesus is telling them, to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And by this, he's meaning their insight, their influence. Secondly, he's asking them if they actually learned anything from the feeding of the multitude. He's basically saying, well, Jesus is a teacher, sorry. So even when he's performing miracles, there's a message behind the miracle. Jesus is basically saying, can you not see that this had more meaning to it than simply satisfying people's physical hunger. And he says to them, having eyes, you do not see. Having ears, you do not hear. So I just want us to keep that context in mind as we go on to study the passage we're going to do today. Beware of the influence of the Pharisees and of Herod, and we need to have eyes to see the truth behind what's happening. Before we get started as well, it's really important to remember that Scripture is our highest authority. So we have to look at Scripture through the lens of Scripture. 
Okay, we should always be able to find other places in the Bible that either back it up or give us more clarity on, on what we're studying. So actually, we're going to be jumping around a little bit today. Um, try and stay with me. I, I hope it um, helps us to make some sense of the passage. So let's get into it. Verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Okay, so here we have some people um, who have begged Jesus to heal um, this man. And there's nothing really unusual about that, if you ask me. But why does he take him out of the village? It would seem a little bit unproductive. If he's got lots of people to hear, why does he take this person out? Well, there's something really symbolic about Jesus hearing their cry, seeing the man and leading him out by the hand. When Jesus takes us by the hand, it's to lead us out of something, to lead us out of bondage, out of sin, ultimately into freedom. That is what's being symbolized here. And the best picture we have of this is when the Israelites were led out of Egypt. Deuteronomy 26, verses 7 to 8 says, So we called out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, toil, and oppression. Then the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror, signs, and wonders. So right here we see the same thing happening. God's character is unchanging. And just like he did with um, Israel then, so he's doing with the blind man now. Here he hears the pleas of the people in Bethsaida, he sees the man's affliction, and he leads him out by the hand. Egypt was the land of Israel's affliction. The village represents the land of this man's bondage, the land of his affliction, the land of his blindness. Now, it's really important to understand, when we read scriptures like this, um, it's not all about the physical thing. Jesus is trying to give us physical illustrations to understand spiritual truths. Before we came to saving faith, we were all in bondage to sin, weren't we? We were all afflicted by the deceptions of this world, and we were all influenced by the Herods of our day. This passage is symbolic of our own nature before salvation. Because spiritually speaking, we were all blind, we were all deaf, and we were all lame. Because we could not see the truth, we could not hear the truth, and therefore we could not walk in the truth. Think about how you came to the knowledge of the truth. Do you see Jesus' hand leading you out of darkness and into light? Because I know I do. Okay. So the next bit, Jesus spits on his eyes and he lays his hands on him. Now, we can't escape the fact that this is a bit gross. Why does he spit on his eyes? Um, but that's the point. Jesus is a teacher, as I said, and he's deliberately making a point in order that we would take notice. It's pretty hard to forget that Jesus spat on someone's eyes. And we need to ask the question, well, why did he do that? What is he trying to say to us? And I believe, actually, that in Revelation 3, we can, um, we can understand a little bit of this. So Revelation um, 3, we read of Jesus talking to the Laodicean church, which, incidentally, he had nothing good to say about. And he says, you say I'm rich, I've grown wealthy and need nothing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined by fire, so that you may become rich. White garments, so that you may be clothed, and your shameful nakedness not ex uh, exposed. And salve, to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. 
So these people in Laodicea, they say they're rich physically. They say they're wealthy physically. They say they need nothing physically. And Jesus says to them, you are blind. And he counsels them to buy salve from him to anoint their eyes so that they may see. So this passage helps us unlock what's going on in Mark 8, what Jesus is trying to reveal to us. Jesus doesn't walk around with a little bottle of eye salve that he's mixed together from some little secret recipe, because if that was true, we'd all be trying to find it, and no doubt someone would be trying to profit from it. Jesus, the best thing Jesus has to offer is always himself, and it's always of himself. Think about the prophets, the priests, the kings in the Old Testament. None of them were sufficient until Jesus came. And then think about all the sacrifices, all the blood that was shed. None was sufficient until the body of Jesus was broken and the blood of Jesus was shed. So it's the same thing for the salve that he offers. It's of himself. When Jesus spits on the man's eyes, he's giving us a physical picture of the salve that he offers in order that we might see, in order that we might see the truth. Okay, well, what is this salve then? Well, a couple of um, chapters back in Revelation, there's a prophetic vision of Jesus, and it says, in his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. Now, the Bible describes God's word as double-edged sword, sharper than a double-edged sword, in fact. And so it's by his lips by his tongue, by his word, that we are healed. And Psalm 107 reflects this when it talks about God sending out his word to heal people in their trouble. And this is actually quite a good one. Proverbs 4 um, says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my saying. That's having ears to hear. Let them not escape from your sight. That's having eyes to see. And keep them within your heart. That's not letting your heart become hardened. For they, his words, are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. So ultimately, what's happening here is a picture of the word that comes forth from Jesus' mouth. Why? Because it is the word of God that heals. Okay, next bit. He asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So what's going on here? Well, some people will tell you that this is a partial healing, and actually, he, at this point, he was only half healed, and he's trying to describe something that he'd never seen before through dimmed eyes. And I actually believe this is one of the biggest mistakes that people can make with this scripture, is they make it all about physical healing. They make it all about the physical side of it. But remember, Jesus deals in spiritual things. And there's a message behind the miracle. So I believe that actually Jesus is opening this man's eyes spiritually. What he says is, though you have come to me with great physical need, you need a physical healing. Your greatest need is that your eyes would be open, open to the truth, to see spiritually. And actually, this is not the first time that Jesus does something like this. Remember at the start when I said that um, we were all blind, we were all deaf, we were all lame before coming to the knowledge of the truth. To the truth. Well, there's a couple of places where Jesus does something similar with healing. So Mark 7, Jesus encounters a deaf man who also has a speech impediment, and they ask for him to be healed. And after he had spit on his man's tongue, spitting again, Jesus sighs. <sighs> and you think, why is he sighing? And he says, Ephatha, which means opened. And I just think, 
this is quite a significant part in this man's life. Why is Jesus sighing? You have to ask the question, why is he sighing? But Jesus is sighing because he knows the state of this man's heart. This man has a hard heart. He knows that this man's greatest need is not his physical healing. His greatest need is that we've been opened to the truth. And we can see that, actually, by what happens next. So Mark, uh, sorry, verse 35 of Mark 7, Jesus heals the man, and then he tells them not to tell anyone. He charges them, and the more he charges them, the more zealously they proclaim it. So he doesn't do this with every single healing he does. He's specifically saying that as an instruction to expose um, this man's heart. And so the first thing he does with newly healed ears and newly healed tongue is to disobey Jesus, to disobey the truth. He hears what Jesus says, and in telling everyone, he is zealously disobeying him. In receiving the healing, this man still did not have ears to hear. And then, what about the paralyzed man? It's a very common story that we know. Um, this paralyzed man can't get through to Jesus. So his friends break a hole in the roof and lower him to Jesus. And what's the first thing that Jesus says to him? He says, man, your sins are forgiven. Now, imagine if, I don't know, you had a gambling addiction or something, and you're in some financial trouble. And the people you owe money to beat you up, you're absolutely covered in blood, and so you hobble your way to the doctor's surgery, and you see that is a huge queue. So you burst through the wall or something, and the doctor says, man, I've paid off your debt. You'd be thinking, thanks, but look at me, that's not the reason I came here. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. He knows that this man has great physical need. He actually knows our needs before we even ask them. But he's trying to emphasize the fact that his greatest need is that he would walk in righteousness through the forgiveness of his sins. Our greatest need is that we would see the truth, that we would hear the truth, so that we can walk in the truth. Because our bodies are decaying. We're all going to die. Our greatest need is spiritual redemption. We need the salvation of our souls because the salvation of our souls is eternal. Our bodies are not eternal. We need the salvation of our souls. Now, having said that, should we still go to God for physical healing? Absolutely, yes. Of course, we should absolutely go to God for physical healing. He cares about our needs, and we are earnestly praying in our church for people to have physical healing. I'm sure there are People here that have seen God's healing hand in your life. I've seen God's healing hand in my life, and I'm sure you've seen it in in yours. He cares about our um, physical affliction and pain. He is gracious. He is kind. One day, there will be no suffering, and there will be no pain, and he will wipe away every tear from every eye. He will do it. He cares about it. But I'm just trying to emphasize the fact that I believe that Jesus is making here is that I know your greatest need. Sorry, I know your physical need. Your greatest need, however, is spiritual salvation. Okay, so I believe the blind man in Mark 8 is having a vision. He's having his eyes opened spiritually. Now, we can't just jump to conclusions, so I just want to try and look through a um, few other pieces of scripture to try and and show you this. Um, So we're just going to look at a couple of other places where um, people have their eyes opened spiritually. So we have the incident with um, Elisha's servant in 2 Kings 6. Basically, what's happening here is the king of Ahab has sent out an army to capture the prophet Elisha. And his servant goes out the next morning 
and he sees a whole army surrounding the city. And he's absolutely terrified. Sorry. He's absolutely terrified. And so he goes to Elisha and he says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are greater than those with them. And then in verse 17, it says, Elisha prayed, this is significant, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire. Okay, did you see that? Elisha prays that the Lord would open his eyes so that he would see. It's exactly the same phrase that Jesus uses in that Revelation chapter we just looked at. Buy salve from me so that you may anoint your eyes so that you may see. Okay, let's look at a couple of other places. Have people got their Bibles to hand? Okay, great. So could this half of the room open your Bibles up to Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 4 to 28? So you've got the longer verse, sorry. So Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 4 to 28. And this half of the room, could you open up your Bibles to Revelation 1, chapters 12, sorry, Revelation 1, verses 12 to 16. Okay, what I want you to do here is basically we have two records of visions, one from Ezekiel and one from John. They're seeing something in the spirit. Now, what I want you to do is just look through the passage. You don't have to read it in depth. All I want you to do is just look through and see if you can see any recurring word, any particular word that comes up more often than you would expect it to. Um, And then I'll give you one minute, and we'll see if you... I hope you found it, but we'll see. Okay, so off you go. Try and see if you can find it. some elevator music now. People think they've got it? Do you need a bit more time? Shout it out if you think you've got it. Yes, like, likeness. That's right. Maybe just have a look now. See if you actually, now you know the word. Look how many times you can see that word coming up. Because when I look through it, in the Ezekiel chapter, there's 25 verses, and I counted the word like or likeness 22 times. So that's nearly every single verse. And in Revelation, he actually says the word like seven times in five verses, an extensive amount of like that he's saying. And that's because this is vision language, okay? When he's seeing something, he's trying to describe what it's like, and you see it over and over again. His eyes were like a fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. Seated above the likeness of a a throne was the likeness of a human um, appearance. So what is the man trying to describe in our passage today. He's saying, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So he's seeing something pretty abstract, and he's trying to describe it. 
He's trying to, sorry, he's seeing people, but they look like trees walking. Okay, so if this is a vision, what does it mean? Can we try and figure it out? Well, straight away, there's a really clear parallel between people being like trees. This is not an uncommon biblical concept. I'm sure you've all heard of it. Um, it's not uncommon for us to be described as trees. And there's so many examples I'm sure you're thinking about right now. But just to jog your memory, we've got Jesus the vine. We are the branches. We've got Joseph, you know, part of um, Jacob's family. He was a fruitful bough, which is a branch. There's passages about being rooted in Jesus uh, Romans 11 talks, uh, describes the Gentiles as being a wild olive shoot, being grafted into the, the olive tree. I'm sure you will know about the fruits of the Spirit, and even our own kids' group are called Seeds and Sprouts and Vines and Branches. So it's not an uncommon, wacky um, kind of thing. <laughs> it's, it's biblical. <laughs> um, but actually, Mark 8... Um, Sorry, so I think that actually in Mark 8, Jesus is revealing the nature of man spiritually. Because spiritually speaking, we are all like trees. We all have the ability to be rooted. We all have the ability to be fruitful or not fruitful. We can even produce bad fruit. But Psalm 1 particularly, I believe, gives us some really helpful insight and helps to unlock what's going on in Mark 8. When it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So in this passage, actually, we have all the key words. We have a man in Mark 8 saying, I see people, they look like trees walking. In um, Psalm 1, we have um, talking about a man who walks, um, not in the counsel of the wicked, um, and a man who delights in the law is like a tree. And it describes three negative actions. So walking, standing, and sitting amongst the wicked. But the man who delights in the truth is like a tree planted. That's to be beneath ground. The others are above ground. He is rooted. Now, does this mean that this man in Mark 8 was walking in the counsel of the wicked? Jesus obviously removes him from the village. Or were the people in the vision, the people he's seeing, were they not delighting in uh, the truth of God's word? Jesus was standing right there, and they were simply walking past the wellspring of life. They were walking past the tree of life. Instead, they needed to be rooted in him and filled with his spirit. John 7, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, believing the word, believing the truth, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, but as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So we all need to be rooted in Jesus. We all need to drink deeply from the wellspring of life, and that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So... What I personally believe is happening in this vision is Jesus is showing him his need to be rooted in Jesus, to be rooted in the wellspring of life, which is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that not the biggest revelation, the biggest truth that we could ever know? That is the most important thing. Next we read that Jesus lays his hands on the man 
and his sight is restored. His physical sight is restored, and he tells him not to go back to the village. Because when you receive insight from Jesus, you cannot go back to the place of blindness. Jesus is telling him, do not go back to the place of blindness. Think about Israel in the wilderness. Jesus rescued them with a mighty hand, and they were confronted with the difficulties of the, of the freedom that they now had, and yet they longed to be back in bondage. They longed to be back in slavery. Don't do it. If Jesus has opened your eyes to the truth, do not go back to the world. Incidentally as well, this gives us a little um, principle about the nature of revelation as well. Often when we read something in God's word, um, or if he gives us a dream or a vision, um, he pulls back the veil for us momentarily. And there's a tangibility to it. Think about your dreams. It feels very real. Your visions, or if, if, I mean, I haven't had any visions I can think of, but um, <laughs> in dreams, it seems very real, but they don't last. We don't remain in dreams, and we don't remain in visions. But they do change us. They do change the way that we think, and they do change the course of action that we may be taking. I've definitely had dreams in my life where, looking back, it was a warning that I wasn't heeding, and things did not go well afterwards. And there's other times when I have heeded what I believe God was saying in a dream, and things turned out all right. And we can definitely see this in Scripture, can't we? We've got um, Joseph gets a dream. Obviously, well, the biggest dream, Joseph. He gets a dream and says, do not divorce Mary. That had a very significant outcome. Um, okay, so these, um, these experiences don't last long, but they have a lasting effect. Think about Elisha's servant that we just talked about. Do you think he saw a blazing army of heaven every time he had a, a battle? Maybe even for the time he had that one battle. Probably not. He only needed to have one vision of, a, of, of an army of heaven on the battlefield, and that would have been enough for every single battle he would ever have to face. How long was Jesus revealed on the earth? Only three years. Then he went to be at the right hand of the Father. But that was enough. He'll be revealed again at the end of the age. And think about Saul. He had a revelation of Jesus on the way to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, and he was blinded for three days. You could actually argue that this was the clearest he'd ever seen in his whole life, because at the end of that experience, he was completely changed. Everything he'd once held in high esteem was now rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. His title of a, as a Pharisee, rubbish. His Roman citizenship, rubbish. His blamelessness under the law, rubbish. And I'm sure there are many of you that have had revelations from the Lord. One, um, probably people here that have had visions and dreams, and God took you to the mountaintop, and he showed you the view. And in that moment, you knew what God wanted of you. It changed you, and you could not return back to the place of blindness. Because when we see with spiritual insight, it changed us, changes us. Because the truth changes us. Growing in knowledge is great. We should all be growing in knowledge. It's the mark of a faithful disciple. But revelation is the mark of a faithful God. When Peter acknowledges Jesus the Christ, he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. We must not fall into the trap of making our walk with Jesus 
an academic subject. When we engage in the things of God, they are spiritual, and he is able to reveal stuff to us spiritually. In Acts, the rulers and the elders saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished, and they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. The truths of God are not reserved for the highly educated or the gifted intellectuals. The truth and revelation of God are reserved for the common man. Remember, the Bible says, not by my power. Sorry, not by power, not by your power, not by your might, but by his spirit. The truths and revelations rely not on our ability to learn, but on his great ability to reveal. It's, it's all reliant on him. So how do we receive revelation? How do we understand his truth, his word? Well, we've already um, looked at it in Psalm 1. It says, the man who bears much fruit and doesn't wither delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So we need to delight ourselves in the law, God's word, his truth. Do you delight in God's truth? If you delight in God's truth, you will be able to walk in it. We need to spend time with Jesus in prayer. Remember what we just read. The elders recognized these common men had been with Jesus. We need to spend time with Jesus. We need to drink deeply from the wellspring of life. That is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. As I said, the most important revelation you will ever receive is that Jesus Christ is Lord. But this actually is only the beginning because we are being brought into the knowledge of the truth. And as we walk more with him, as we delight more with him, uh, more in him and his word, so he will reveal more to us. Okay. What should our response be? Well, if you discovered that you've grieved God, then repent. As he instructs the blind man, don't go back to the place of blindness. Don't go back to the village. God is gracious to forgive, and revelation is an opportunity for us to respond to him, either to take steps of faith, um, either to repent from sin, or simply to just grow in your friendship with God. We need the Lord to open our eyes. What is God trying to reveal to you? How is he trying to speak to you? Is he revealing sin that you need to repent of? Is he showing you some steps of faith that you need to take? Do you have eyes to see? Do you have ears to hear? Or are you more influenced by the leaven of this world? Are we being more influenced by the Pharisees of our day? Christian culture, Christian tradition that says, only talk about love. Don't mention sin. Don't talk about repentance. Whatever you do, do not mention hell. Are we influenced more by the Herods of our days? Kings and leaders, businesses and corporations. Think like this. Talk like that. Desire this. Desire that. Trust the experts. Um, but what if my Bible says something different? Well, are you a historian? No. Are you a scientist? No. Are you even a theologian? No. That is worldly leaven. Beware of it. Because the truth of God is for the common man to understand. By the power of his spirit. When you turn on the news and you see the pride marches, waving the rainbow flag, do you see a celebration 
of sexual diversity and liberation? Or do you see rebellion against the living God, waving in his face the very symbol that he used to say, no matter how great the sin of mankind, I will never flood the earth again. Do you have eyes to see? Are you focusing more on the physical things of this world? Because when you do that, you run the risk of being blinded, deafened, and paralyzed. The Bible says that Satan has blinded the minds of the unbeliever and that they traded the truth of God for a lie. We need to be a people that says, Oh Lord, would you spit on our eyes that we might see? Because this world is getting darker and we need our eyes to get brighter. As we await the coming of our Lord, deception is going to increase and the war that we wage will be fought on the battleground of the truth. What does the Bible say? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, the physical things of this world, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We need eyes to see. We need ears to hear. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If we want to walk in the truth, we need to be able to see it. As a church, we are a body, aren't we? And if we want to be a body who walks in righteousness and truth, if we want to wrestle against the cosmic powers of this darkness, we need our eyes to be open, wide. Okay, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your truth. Thank you that it is your truth that sets us free. Thank you, Father, that you have opened our eyes to the greatest truth that we could ever know, that Jesus Christ is Lord. I thank you, Father, that you'll bring us into more revelation of truth, more experiences of who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you reveal to us who you are. We just pray, Lord, that you would open our blind spots, open our deaf spots, and that you would heal us so that we can walk in righteousness, Lord. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear that we could walk in truth. And let us go out, Lord, that we can open the eyes of others, that we could lead them to the rock that is higher than I, the wellspring of life. Jesus, I just pray, Father, that you would fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.